Amen. It's good to be in the house of God. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to say thank you to Pastor Matthew for taking us through the study last week. I was also out of town and uh, got to be with my family down in California. Thank you for your prayers. I know some of you were praying for me and praying for us and uh, got to see God do some good things in in our family. So I was very, very excited about that. And I know that work of reconciliation and uh, really reconnecting with family is uh, in process in that healing. So very, very thankful. Uh, Wanted to just make mention real quickly of a couple of things. Number one, this Thanksgiving week, for all of you who, all of you men who still think at one point uh, in your age, wherever you are, if you feel that you might be an athlete still, we are having a turkey bowl uh, Thanksgiving morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, and that's going to be at Clackamas High School on the practice field. So you'll go to the very back parking lot area, and off to the right-hand side, there's a practice field. They tell me that the weather is going to be about 20 degrees, and we're going to have rain the day before, so it, it will be a very exciting uh, day of football. Uh, so wear cleats or something, and if you don't have cleats, well, hey, wear tennis shoes, and it'll be an exciting day. Uh, we, we do this on an annual basis, and uh, it's really a great time, so fellas come out. No need to worry about any kind of injuries or pulled muscles or you know bumps and bruises, because we, pray, we play a very encouraging game of two-hand shove. And so... <laughs> And, uh, but we pray beforehand, so we're pretty confident that there won't be any injuries. Anyway, so I want to invite you to that. Then also want to uh, mention, in relationship to the facilities, because some have asked about our church building and where we are in the process with that. And I, I bring you very good tidings, but again, it's just delayed tidings in many respects. So we did discover from our architects most recently that because of our occupancy of the building and the number of rooms that we'll have and the children that will be in those rooms and our sanctuary, that the county has told us that we are going to have to endeavor into a seismic upgrade. So when the thing starts shaking, because the power of the Spirit of God could bring some shaking... I said, man, you're talking our language, right? That's Acts chapter 4 all over again. The building, the pillar shook. Uh, that, the roof won't come down. Now, we like to raise the roof and not bring it down. But uh, So we're going to do a little seismic work. And we're, we've contracted another structural engineer who's going to be doing some work. So there's just a little delay. Delays don't alarm me at all. And I hope they don't alarm you. I know we set up and tear down every week. And you are very, very gracious and being a part. And thank you for all the work that you do. Can we thank our setup team and our teardown team? They do a great job. So we'll have a little bit more of that for 2016. I don't know how far along uh, we'll be, and I, I anticipate that we'll be in our facility uh, sometime next year. Can someone say amen? Amen. That'd be good. So I'll keep you updated when updates are available. Also, just want to let you know that we had a couple of outreaches this past 
weekend. We had a downtown outreach on Saturday, and I don't know where the crew is that may have been a part of that. If you were part of that, we just raise your hand and say, yeah, we were there. So we had an outreach, and I know we fed somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 folks down the streets. It was a great opportunity to connect and love on people. We get to pray with them, so thank you, thank you. And then we also had an outreach on Friday night where we had our dinner at the Wichita Family Support Center. And we had a great team that was there. We prepared a warm turkey dinner, and it was turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, stuffing, peas, carrots, cranberry sauce, bread, and it was like a pre-Thanksgiving Thanksgiving. I think we had between 40 and 50 that showed up. I have been 60 or 70. It's great. Lots of kids and a great interaction and opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ with those who may or may not have heard before. So I want to thank those who were part of that. And our, our church family, I, I tell you this because we are about the kingdom of God. And we are about our Father's business, sharing the love of Jesus Christ, both through serving as well as through our words of encouragement and speaking the gospel. And so just very, very thankful for you and your involvement in that. And then I just want to let Pastor Dennis know, Pastor Dennis, in 1978, I also had a big afro. (laughs) Hallelujah. I actually once had hair, and it was curly. (laughs) So uh, there you have it. All right, well, hey, let's dive into the scripture this morning. We are coming to a place in the book of Revelation where we've concluded the seven letters to the seven churches. Someone say amen. So I probably won't say things like uh, about the divine outline and all of those parts. I hope you have that by now, the divine outline. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. I will simply say this, that chapter 4 is a transitional verse. It's a transitional verse. In that, from that divine outline, the things which thou hast seen, that was Revelation chapter 1, the resurrected Christ. The things that are, Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3, which is the church era or the church age which we are living in right now, incidentally. We are living in the church age where God's focus and his attention is on this thing called the church, which to the Old Testament saints and the nation Israel was a mystery revealed at the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ and on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out and those in the upper room and the birth of the church and this new revelation. And we are living in what we would call the epics of church history. I would conclude from the word of God that we are presently living in the seventh epic of church history. And Pastor Matt aptly shared last week the letter to the church of the Laodiceans. Chapter 4, verse 1, begins with a very interesting phrase. After these things, interesting that Revelation 1.19 in that divine outline, the things which thou hast seen, the things that are, and the things that are hereafter, or after these things. And Revelation 4.1 begins with that same phrase, after these things. It's the Greek word metatauta. Say that with me, metatauta. You might memorize that phrase, metatauta. Verse 1 begins with that phrase and ends with that phrase, metatauta, metatauta. And here's the thing. It is that transitional phrase. We're moving into the third section of the divine outline. 
Interestingly enough, the focus in chapters 2 and 3 were on the church. Chapters 4 and 5, we see a picture, a window, if you will, into heaven. Into heaven, and we find the church in heaven. Revelation chapter 6 through 19, God's attention and focus will be back on earth, and he will be dealing with an unrepentant people, an unresponsive people to the gospel, and the nation Israel. His attention will once again be on the nation of Israel. And then when we get back into chapter 20 and 21 and 22, I will hear mention of the church again. And we get to the very end of the book and we all live happily ever after. So we're moving into chapter 4. And this is an exciting chapter. And I would encourage you tonight at 6 o'clock, we'll be doing a verse-by-verse study through the entirety of chapter 4. This morning, we're going to focus on one verse. Verse 1. So in your Bibles, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. After these things... I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Father, in the next few moments, as we look into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, I pray, Lord, that we would be challenged. I pray, Lord, that we would be inspired. I pray, Father, that we we would find great joy in the knowledge of where we are headed. So, Lord, be glorified. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said a strong amen. Amen. Well, I had good intention to play some wedding music right now. You know that infamous song, if you've been to a wedding, and it's a famous song uh, written by an 1830 uh orchestrator of music and it was the that song that starts off so today's message is here comes the bride here comes the bride we the church are the bride of christ and chapter four in this transitional verse it is the coming of the bride to meet the bridegroom in the air. And there's three thoughts that I want to really draw from this. And the first is that this verse is rooted with theology. It is steeped in deep-rooted theology. Transitional from that divine outline after these things, yes, but rooted in theology. There is a Teaching that is going out in the midst of the church that there was a man in the uh, 1800s who came up with this new theology about a premillennial rapture of the church. But I want you to know that it is not an 1800 teaching. The teaching of the rapture of the church, the snatching away of the saints of God goes all the way back to Jesus Christ himself, to the first century disciples and apostles, to the second century, to the third century, all the way up to the current day. I believe personally, and we as a fellowship hold to the doctrine of a premillennial rapture of the church. That the church of Jesus Christ 
will be snatched away to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will be with him forever. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, you can make a note of it. And it encourages us in that portion of scripture to encourage one another about it. That Jesus is coming soon and he is going to be taking us away. What is he going to be taking us away from? What is going to be transpiring on the earth during those days? Jesus referred to that seven year period as Jacob's trouble or the great tribulation. The last three and a half years definitively the great tribulation. Such has never been seen before. And the the prophet Daniel reminds us that it is a seven year period and it is in fact Daniel's 70th seven. So this morning this verse that is rooted in theology our blessed hope it is the rapture. Now I want you to know that in the first century, the authors, the fathers of the faith, what we would call the pre-Nicaea age fathers, also held to this belief. And so I want to share with you Irenaeus. Irenaeus, who was from about 130 AD to about 220 AD, 200, maybe it was 200 AD. He he was a disciple of Polycarp. If you remember weeks ago, I shared about Polycarp. Polycarp was the first disciple of John, the apostle, who God the Holy Spirit used to inspire to write on the island of Patmos the revelation of Jesus Christ. Polycarp, his disciple, he also had a disciple, and this disciple, Irenaeus, was one of his disciples. And Irenaeus said these words, and we have the historical record. He says this, on the subject of the rapture, in his most famous work, and his most famous work is Against Heresies. So he, his principal assignment was to come against the heresies of his day. And in relationship to the rapture of the church, he says these words, And therefore, when the end of the church shall suddenly be caught up from this, it is said there shall be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning, neither shall there be. He references the capture or the snatching away of the church. Now, I could reference to you Ephraim of Syria. I could I could certainly reference other historical fathers who taught these doctrines of the apostles to the church during those days. But suffice it to say, I'll put that in your hands to test the spirits, do your research, and ascertain as a student of the Word of God what is being taught. There are other views. There is the view of the mid mid-tribulation rapture. There is also a view of the post-tribulation rapture. And there's that fourth one that's most popular by many. It's the pan-tribulation. However it pans out, I just like would like to go up to the first group. So, uh, wherever you land, I personally believe theologically that it stands with 
the principle and the character and the nature of God to not bring judgment upon the righteous along with the judgment of the wicked simultaneously. And we could go through from Genesis all the way up to and through Revelation where God's principle is to remove the righteous and then bring judgment. So suffice it to say, uh, seven reasons why I would hold to this view I'll just give you. Number one, it's been taught since the beginning of the church. I think that's paramount. It is, the, it is an apostolic and, uh, and the apostles' doctrine, if you will. Secondly, I believe that the text reveals that the bride is removed. We certainly would see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In fact, turn back in your Bible to the left a few pages to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and let's just read this portion of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And this, incidentally, is one of those areas that the Apostle Paul, in his writings under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, at least five times he said, Brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning I don't want you to be ignorant. And unfortunately, in these five areas that Paul has said that, we find the greatest amount of ignorance in the church. And so we, like the Apostle Paul, we don't want any of us to be ignorant concerning these matters. And he says, but concerning, or excuse me, verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep or those who are dead in Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's the body of Christ being snatched up to meet the Lord in the air. Now here's the, here's the piece that goes with that. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And he reminds them, he says, I show you a mystery. We will not all die, for we will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. This mortal will put on immortality. This corruption will put on incorruption. And we will go to meet the Lord in the air. That's an exciting reality. This mortal putting on immortality. We're going to be clothed with our immortal bodies. The Bible says when we see Christ, we'll be like him. We'll be like him. We'll have our resurrected bodies. That's going to be an exciting day. That's going to be an exciting day. So let's talk a little bit about the theology. Again, let me give you a couple more reasons and then we'll, we'll talk about this theology of the rapture. Again, the text reveals that the bride will be removed, uh, reveals that the Spirit of God is going to be removed. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 reminds us about the one who is restraining the man of lawlessness. He will be removed at some point. In Revelation chapter 4, we find these, in verse 5 of Revelation chapter 4, we find these seven burning candles... Before the throne, which are the sevenfold plentitude of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is there in heaven. Well, where is the Spirit of God today? He's in the believer. 
He's certainly in the world, convicting the world with regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. But when the believer is called home, we find that the Holy Spirit is also in the throne room of God. How very, very exciting. So, we, we see this, that the text reveals that the Spirit of God is removed. We see that the text reveals that the world will be plunged into that tribulation in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21. In chapter 4, we find the throne room of God where the church is seen as John is a type, if you will, of the church and he is caught up to be with the Lord. He hears that voice and he's caught up. And then again, that typology of John. And let me just reference the typology of John in my notes as I have it. If you look at verse uh, verse 2, after he sees the door open, he sees or hears the voice like a trumpet speaking, come up here, I will show you some things which must take place after this. Verse 2, immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So here's John on the island of Patmos. He sees a door open in heaven. He hears the voice, like the first voice that spoke to him, like many rushing waters. It sounded like a trumpet, and it said, come up here. Immediately, he was in the Spirit, as a type of the translation of the saints. When the trumpet sounds, we will be changed. First Corinthians says, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, those who study things like the eyeball and vision say that the twinkling of an eye is different from the blink of an eye. A blink of an eye is something that can actually be measured in terms of how much time it takes. But the twinkling of an eye, they reference how the eye sees light and how quickly light can enter in. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. They measure the rapidity of light entering in in what is known as pita seconds. If you were to pull one hair out and lay it on the table and you could measure across a hair, the breadth of one hair is the time it takes light to travel. That breadth of hair is a pita second. Well, if you line up just one inch of hair, you'd probably have about 100 and uh, imagine 186,000 in one second. Miles of hair. That's how quickly your eye is reacting to light. That's amazing. At night when your eyes are tired, there's a very good reason for that. Well, all that to say, that's how quick this is going to happen. Boom! We will, we will no longer have our physical bodies like we do now. We'll be given our immortal bodies and we'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's pretty exciting. Now, when I was a kid, not so much a kid, when I was 19 years old, I, uh, I got saved, and this was kind of an exciting time for me, and I found out that there was uh, some music going around during those days. Now, I was not a big music genre, but if I was a music genre, you ready for this? I would have been a punk rocker. <laughs> me and my afro. <laughs> punk rocker. I wasn't running around in like skinny jeans or anything like that, but I got news for you. I was kind of okay. Anyway, I used to listen to this band. Why are you going to appreciate this? Undercover. Undercover was one of my favorite bands. Dan, you know. I mean, you're listening to this music now. I miss good stuff. This was one of their songs, Mom. Are you ready for the lyrics? One of these days you might be driving in your car waving high and maybe singing as you go. And then you're gone. And they'll say, no, wait, where'd that guy go? Well, it was Jesus. He came to take you home. 
Then it goes on. One of these days you might be sitting at your desk typing and stuff, you know, maybe thinking, what a mess. And then it happens, and they'll say, hey, what's going on? Well, it was Jesus saying, time to move along. One of these days. And one of these days you might be dancing on the floor thinking, man, I sure am pretty cool. And then it's over. And you'll say, boy, I've been blind because it was Jesus. And you know what? You've been left behind. One of these days. One of these days. Well, gang, here's the thing. One of these days is forthcoming. And we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And on that day, you might be driving in your car, waving high and singing as you go. And then you're gone. And the people in the car with you, if they don't know Christ, they'll say, no way, where'd that guy go? And if you're the driver traveling 55 miles an hour because you abide by the speed law, your car will still be driving 55. And the passengers in the car who don't know Christ will be in a world of trouble. It's a very real reminder to every one of us. Jesus is coming. And that's good news. Amen. If your faith is in Christ Jesus, that is good news. Some people say, well, that's an escapism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and amen. <laughs> hey, when we realize what is coming, every single person on the planet Earth at that time will wish they were a part of the rapture. So, we see John was translated instantly. So, that typology. So, those are seven reasons that I would hold to this. But, again, this rooted in theology. I mentioned those first century teachers, if you will, of the Word of God. They went to the Word of God, and they drew from the Word of God this doctrine called the Blessed Hope, the rapture of the church. John, the apostle, in his gospel, he said... Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Writing of Jesus' words. He says, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. (laughs) Hallelujah. Jesus is coming to take us home. Here's the thing, and I pray today that you are both encouraged, but I pray that you are inspired. Inspired. You see, there are those around you and I who do not have faith in Christ and outside of a personal relationship with Jesus, they will be left behind. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. Folks, that's why we must be about our Father's business. We must tell. 
every living creature. That's what that's what Mark in his gospel he says, preach to every living creature the gospel. The gospel we must communicate. First Thessalonians refers to the snatching up. First Corinthians fifteen reminds us that our bodies will be translated. And this is not just a New Testament theology. Most people would say, well, you can't find the rapture. Well, you can't find the word rapture in the Bible anywhere. And when people point that out to me, I say, well, you know, you can't find the word Bible in the Bible either. That doesn't nullify it. But the word rapture or raptus in the Latin, you would find in the Latin Vulgate, it is there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It is translated into the Greek, which the Septuagint is a really a 3rd century B.C. document where one of Alexander the Great's generals pulled together 70 of the world's most renowned Greek scholars and they translated the scriptures into Greek and the Greek word for being caught up or snatched out is harpazo. Harpazo. So we're talking about the great harpazo or the rapture. And uh, as, as we look at this, we would find in the Old Testament, it is also referenced to. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 27, excuse me, 26. In Isaiah 26, verses 19 through 21. Now, I was trying to read the scripture to my son earlier. And as I began to read the scripture, I just began to weep. Because of the reality. We're going to heaven. We're going to heaven. That's our home. It's exciting. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19, he says this. Your dead shall live. That's a good start, isn't it? The dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall rise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For your dew is like the dew of the herbs. And the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. It's an allusion, if you will, to the rapture of the church. And there are several other scriptures I won't take you to in the Old Testament. If you're taking notes, you can write down Zephaniah chapter 2 and Psalm 27 verse 5. So, deeply rooted in theology, our blessed hope, the good news. We are going to be with the Lord forever. And that day and that translation is forthcoming. The second thought I have is is a rich verse or a verse rich with typology. It's interesting to note that the Apostle Paul, writing to the churches, reminds them in Romans that not to be ignorant again about things concerning Israel and the typology of Israel. And God speaks to Israel in type. Now here's, here's something interesting for us to be reminded of. We tend to be in our Western culture influenced mostly from the Greek mindset or the Greek culture. To the Greek mindset or the Greek culture, when we hear the word prophecy, we equate prophecy to prediction and fulfillment. 
In fact, even the gift of prophecy, oftentimes we hear about someone making some kind of prediction over someone's life and then looking to see that thing being fulfilled. Prediction, fulfillment. That's a Greek mindset. But to the Jews, the Jews had a totally different mindset, a totally different culture of thought. I would call it the Midrash model. The Midrash model, to a Jew, when you talk about prophecy, instantaneously their thought is pattern. Pattern. It's the character of God. He is a God of design, and he works in patterns. How interesting. That never even crosses our mind. We would see these patterns throughout the totality of Scripture, however. First of all, when we think about Revelation, and how many times have we seen the pattern of the number seven used time and time and time and time again? It's pattern, pattern, pattern. Let me give you an example. The Jewish wedding. A Jewish wedding. Now, Dennis, you mentioned this Christmas season, and then you said, oh, I mean Thanksgiving season. Well, hey, it is, Christmas is synonymous with about 12 months of the year for me, so that's good news. Anyway, but we're familiar with the Christmas story, right? For Mary and Joseph were betrothed to be married. Now, in the Western culture, we don't talk about betrothal, do we? It is, it is a different system. So let me tell you about this system, and then let's look at the pattern, if you will, prophetically. The ketubah, or the betrothal, we find in Isaiah chapter 61, Judges chapter 14, and a number of other places in Scripture. This betrothal period is begun by a meeting, where in the meeting, there is a purchase price established for the future bride. A purchase price. And all the dads of women say, hey, when can we institute this, right? You're going to buy my daughter? All right, we'll we'll go talk and negotiate. Uh, They would do that. They would negotiate a purchase price for the bride. And when the bride purchase price was paid, the betrothal period began. And at the betrothal period, the bride was sanctified set apart solely for her future husband. Are you with me? Sanctified, set apart for her future husband. And she went to prepare herself. The groom, the groom's, the, the, the bridegroom, if you will, he would return to his father's house, and there at his father's house, he would add on the wedding chamber or the room wherewith he and his bride would have their beginnings. And he didn't know at what time he would return. Only his father who would come and inspect the work that was being done knew when the work was completed. So the father would basically come and do the inspection and when the work was complete he would say time to go and get your bride. And Typical of a Jewish wedding, the groomsmen would go with the bridegroom and they would come into the city at night. 
Now, the bride has been waiting with expectation, not knowing when her groom was going to arrive. She had been preparing herself with her bridesmaids. You might remember the parable of the ten virgins, five who had oil, five who did not for their lamps. Remember that the groom came at an hour unexpected. The herald would come in first, blowing the trumpet at night, declaring, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. And the bride would get all her stuff that she had prepared and be ready to be taken back to the mansion that was prepared. Now, the herald would make the declaration, they would swoop in, they would pick up the bride and the chambermaids, and they would make their way back to the father's house. And the consummation of the marriage would be complete. They would spend seven days in seclusion. During those seven days, the bridegroom would bring to his bride daily gifts that he had prepared for her. He himself might come out to the guests, but he would not bring the bride out until the seventh day. And on the seventh day, he would come and he would present the bride to the guests of the wedding. And then they would partake in the wedding supper. Now how exciting. Here's the typology. Jesus Christ and God the Father, they established the purchase price. The purchase price was the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When the shed blood of Jesus Christ was paid, Jesus declared, it is finished. Tetelestai. In the Greek, it means paid in full. Paid in full. The purchase price that had been established had been paid. And the betrothal began. The bride, since then, has been making herself ready. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. He's returned to his father's house. He says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And he's talking to us. That's pretty exciting. So what's the assignment of the bride of Christ to be doing now? Preparing herself. I'm going to come back to that thought in a few moments, okay? So, a day is coming and it is near. It is near. In fact, I would share with you the heartbeat of the bride in the Jewish context, in that Midrash mind. She was always in eager expectation of the imminent return as though it was the next thing that was going to happen. That's how her preparation was. Now, all you young ladies, I think of my own daughter who's just recently been engaged. Already preparation kinds of things are being made. In fact, generally speaking, there's not very many conversations that aren't centered around a future event, but she's already, and that bride there knows it's already gearing up in every little thing is that preparation. I wonder how the church today, are we always mindful of making preparation, being expectant of the imminent return of our Savior 
There's a whole doctrine, the doctrine of imminency. And it's a powerful doctrine, powerful doctrine. We won't have time this morning to go there. But the idea, he's gone to prepare a place and he's coming again. And he will, when he comes, there will be the trumpet of God. The trumpet of God will sound. The bridegroom is coming. And that is the moment when we will be translated. We will be changed. The dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will be with him forever. Hallelujah. Now listen, we're talking about the second coming of Christ, but this is the first part of the second coming. You see, he meets us in the air. And he takes us to heaven, and it is there in heaven for seven years where you and I and the whole body of Christ throughout the totality of the age of the church, we will be receiving our reward. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth in two different places, he reminds us that, and this is, folks, we need to be mindful of this. The Bible says we will give an account. To the Lord. Now thanks be to God. Jesus has taken care of the punitive damage. For all that we've done in this flesh. That was not good. Someone say amen. Amen. Jesus took the punitive damage. But the reward side of things. For what we have done. He references in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This judgment of a reward. And whatever we have built on that foundation. Whether we built with hay, wood or stubble. Or precious stone and jewel. It will be tried by fire, and those things that remain after the consumption will be a reward, and that reward ultimately we will be honoring the Lord with. It's going to be an exciting time. But the Bible does tell us that there will some, there will be some that escape with nothing left on that foundation because all they built with was wood, hay, and stubble, the works of the flesh. They themselves will make it. As one escaping through the flames. Now I got news for you. I know I don't want that to be me. And I trust that you don't want that to be you. So let's not do things out of the flesh. Let's do things in the spirit. And for the Lord's name's sake. Amen. How how many of us have done things for our own name's sake. Right? I mean we're all in that boat. We've all done that. We all practice that in many, many respects. But our maturity. Our growing in our faith. Is beginning to do the things for the Lord's sake. And in the name of Christ. So, so we get caught up. We receive it like in that typology, those gifts for seven years or seven days. One day is a thousand years, a thousand years, one day. Lord's dimension of time is very different. And so we're going to, for seven years, be receiving those rewards, so to speak. On that seventh day, we'll be presented by the Lord to the guests of the wedding. Someone says, well, who are the guests of the wedding? Well, I believe personally that it is the patriarchs, the first 4,000 years of humanity from Adam all the way up until what we have recorded for us in Malachi, but certainly right on up to that first century time. All of those patriarchs who by faith were taken up from paradise and are now in heaven, they're the guests. And I think the angels are going to be the guests. Someone say amen to that. That's going to be exciting. They're going to see the bride of Christ, and that's us. And then we'll be together. And here's the good news. When Christ returns to put his foot upon the Mount of Olives, 
and actually have the second advent, the Bible says that we will return with him. And we will rule and reign for a thousand years. That age is an age that we'll look at in a few weeks, but it's something that is not current, it's not something that has ever happened, but it is something that will be happening in the future. And it's an interesting portion portions of Scripture because men and women will live longer like back in the days of Noah. Something physiological in this universe is going to change. We find in the book of Revelation, this is just a little interesting side note, you can do a little research on your own. But the Bible tells us that during those days of the tribulation, a third of the sun will be darkened. How interesting, the thing that causes you and I to age is certain waves that flow from the light that comes from the sun. You know, when you buy a set of sunglasses, you have a little sticker on them that says UV protected. Well, it could be that when the third of the sun is darkened, that the UV rays are removed so that man can live longer. How interesting that in the days of Noah, remember that Genesis tells us that there was an encompassing canopy of water, that the waters below were separated from the waters above. Light would travel through the canopy, the infrared and the luminiferous light, but the UV light would be refracted off. You see it every day, well not every day, but when you go to the mall and you park your car out in the parking lot, and you come back out on a sunny day and it's 150 degrees inside your car, and you think, why is it so warm in there? Well, that's all those little infrared rays making it through that thin layer of glass and the luminiferous, so you can actually see inside there, but the UV gets reflected off, just like it gets refracted off of the sunglasses. That's what that pre-noatic flood world was like. Probably a universal temperature. That's why it was feasible for dinosaurs to live. The viscosity of their blood would be on different. That's all kinds of theology you just didn't want to hear. But anyway, it's good stuff. Okay, all that being said, what you walk away with today? These, these, I guess these three thoughts in terms of the doctrine of the blessed hope. It's a verse rooted with theology. It's rich in typology. And it's a verse radiant in triumph. And why do I say it's radiant in triumph? Well, three thoughts. A promise actualized. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place. And if I go, I will come again and take you unto myself. We're going to see that reality transpire. I believe. I believe. It will be in my lifetime. I believe it's that soon. There is nothing... Nothing prophetically that needs to transpire before the return of Jesus Christ. There is not a single prophecy in Scripture that needs to be fulfilled that would be preventing Christ from coming. I believe there is one reference in the book of Romans, and it has to do with the Gentiles. And it says, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. That's our assignment. That's our assignment. Whose salvation is on the other side of your obedience to share the gospel? Do you realize today that the very next person that you share the gospel with may be the last one? Someone someone said, hey, maybe we could expedite the return of Christ if we would just go share the gospel with everyone. Sounds like a great commission to me. 
That was Jesus' idea. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Right? That's our assignment. We're Christ's ambassadors. So it's a promise actualized. And I do believe it will be in my lifetime. There's a preeminent assembly. You know, when we see this throne room, God the Father's there. God the Son is there. God the Spirit is there. There are some amazing living creatures, living beings. There are 24 thrones and 24 elders sitting upon those thrones. And the church is there. This is a preeminent assembly. And it's a permanent address. Come on. We're living in tents right now, right? The Bible describes these bodies as tents. And we're eagerly waiting for our building, whose builder and maker is God. Can't wait for that resurrected body. First of all, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've thought about this the older I've gotten. What age will we be in heaven? I mean, I I never necessarily had a body that I was satisfied with, but I mean, it's going to be different. And it's going to be good. Better than what we have presently. That's going to be fun. Anyway, all that to be said, we're going to be with the Lord forever. So, How do we conclude? What thoughts? Jesus is coming back. And he's coming soon. Could be today. It could be today. Will you look at your neighbor and simply say to them, it could be today. It could be today. So what's your anticipations? Are you anticipating? Are you eagerly awaiting? Are you longing for the return of Christ? Remember, John reminded us in his little epistle, 1 John, do not love this world or the things of this world. If the love of the world is in you, the love of the Father is not. Folks, this world and the systems of this world and the lusts of this world they are passing away we're anticipating a more tangible and more real place heaven Jesus is coming soon am I ready for him am I ready are you ready What changes need to occur? With your expectations, oh, I can't wait. Oh, he could come today. Hmm, I got some unfinished business to take care of. Peter reminds us, he says, listen, this present earth is reserved for fire. The elements are going to burn with fervent heat. Whoosh, it's going to go. He says, knowing these things, what manner of man ought I be in holy conduct? Get ready. Remember, Jesus said, if we're messing around, the master will return at an hour unexpected. Let's not be unexpected. Hey, I don't want to get caught off hand, do you? Have you ever had that thought like, you're like, okay, I, I could do this and probably get away with it. 
honor God, and then our flesh just convinces us, go do that thing. And you, and you thought, like, well, if I go sin, what if I'm sinning when Jesus returns? What if he caught me right then? Hey, that's a motivator. Then don't go do that thing. I don't want to be caught at an hour. Unexpected. Hey, he who knows this purifies himself just as he is pure. What about you? What change ought you make today? This very hour, a decision. I am renouncing that area of my flesh, whatever it looks like. And I just asked this last question in conclusion. Am I satisfied with the readiness of those around me? Now, I don't mean your believer friends. They may have some things they need to repent. You may know some sin of your brothers in the Lord, right? I mean, we all kind of have some awareness of some things that other people should be doing. When you hear a message, oh, so-and-so needs to hear that. (laughs) I mean, you know what I'm talking about. We kind of know some things. Hey, why not be a good brother? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Why not go tell them? You know about it. Don't share it with someone else. Go share it with them. Hey, I think you might be struggling in this area. Can I talk with you about it? It's a simple thing. And if that's you and someone comes to you, will you have the heart to receive from your brothers and sisters a wise instruction, maybe a healthy rebuke? Amen? Can we be the kind of place where we talk with one another very lovingly and very meekly, but very sincerely? Yeah, amen. But are you satisfied with those around you that don't know Christ? Trust not. You may be the only Bible they ever read in your life. You may be the only one who will ever pray for that. They may be surrounded by people who don't pray. You may, their, you may be their only connection with the King of Glory. Will you commit to pray for them? Will you commit to communicate the love of Jesus Christ with them? Amen. Let's stand this morning. Here's a message. It is really good news. Jesus is coming. But it's a message of good news that carries with it a responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray today you'll have the opportunity. Some of us are a little bit timid and we say, well, I really don't know what to say. I don't know how to say this. Here's what I want to encourage you. Don't wait. Just start stepping out in faith. And if you mess up, hey, you mess up in faith in Jesus, it's going to be okay. You'll have more opportunity. And you'll get better at sharing your faith. But all you have to do is tell your story. What you once were, Jesus came into your life, and how he's transforming your life. It's your story. They're not going to argue with you. They can't. You just tell that piece of it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But I want you to know, in 2016... I believe it will be in the second quarter from April through mid-June. We're going to be having uh, an ex-professional football player named Jeff Hart. He lives in our community. And uh, he's got, I don't know, I think he was 13 years in the NFL. I think 11 of them were with uh, the Indianapolis Colts back in the day. But his ministry is helping people share faith. And what he does is they do... uh, 
interactive sharing so we can become better at sharing our faith. He gives the tools. He gives even some scripture stuff to help us memorize so that we can do it efficiently and effectively. How many of us would like to have a little bit more practice in sharing our faith? Yeah, amen. So I encourage you when that comes about in our second quarter of 2016 that you sign up and be a part of that class. It's going to be a great time. It will be off calendar, not a Sunday probably. It might be a midweek kind of a thing. It might be a Friday night thing. But I just want you to know it's going to be a great opportunity to help us as the body of Christ be more effective in sharing our faith. But don't wait till then to share your faith. Amen. Amen. Now in the back, I'll let you know there's little invitation cards. You might be like Philip when he talked to Nathaniel and he said to Nathaniel, hey, we found the one whom Moses and all the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip didn't have an answer. He didn't know what to say. So we're in good company when we don't know what to say, right? All he said was, come and see so you can, if you don't know what to say at this point, you just have one of those cards and you hand it out and say, hey, come to church and hear. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. There's stacks of them in the back. You can just take as many as you want, hand them out to everybody. I have them in my car. I have them in my wallet. I meet people, pass them out. I run out. I ask my boys, can I get a card? And they're like flowing cards. Danny, he, man, I got cards, PD. We hand them to the person in the McDonald's. Well, not that I go to McDonald's. I know that. Okay, I make too many confessions. I'm done. Here we go. I'm just saying, we can give them everywhere we go. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. What an epic idea. Redemption. You set the price for our redemption. You paid the price. It cost you everything. It cost us nothing. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, Lord, help us to share the good news. Thank you that you are coming again soon. Lord, we eagerly await. We see the signs of your coming. Your word tells us what they are. When you hear of wars and of rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, and all of those things, these are the beginning of birth pains. We know the imminent return is soon. So, Lord, with the advent of Israel becoming a nation again in May of 1948, another clock has started. You said this generation that sees that event will not perish until the end. So, Lord, we're looking. It's the end of that church age. Boom! When you call us up, we're looking forward, God. Help us, Lord, transform us in our thinking, transform us in our hearts, that, Lord, we would, with expectation, eagerly await, that we would make those transformation decisions that even your spirit is revealing to us now, those carnal type of living, that we would simply renounce those things in the name of Christ. And that, Father, we would not be satisfied with those who don't know the truth, and that we would be the conveyors of the truth. We ask your blessing and your benediction. Until we return again tonight at 6 o'clock, God, may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, and everyone said a strong amen.